picture this. Someone who knows nothing about comics. Someone who knows comics from movies, TV and video games. A complete ultra comics nerd. You pick the character you want us to talk about. You send us the questions you want answered. You make the show. A podcast by fans. For fans. Making new fans. Superheroes. Or dummies. everyone. My name is Matthew B. Lloyd, and I will be your guide as we explore the world of comics before the advent of the Silver Age. Thanks for tuning in to Comics in Motion Network. We've got a lot of great shows for you. Thanks for joining me. As always, I'm excited to share this episode with you. Before we get started, remember you can follow the Classic Comics Show on Twitter at ComicsLloyd or contact the show via email at ClassicComicsMBL at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at MatthewB underscore Lloyd and at DCComicsNews.com where I'm assistant editor and write reviews. Thanks for joining me for episode 21. Today we are going to check out the Golden Age Green Arrow and Speedy. Now, I thought about just calling this episode Green Arrow, but truth be told, the two were never featured without the other. First, a little news. Uh, the Black Panther book, in which I have co-writer on a chapter, is uh, is moving along uh, steadily, so that will be forthcoming in the new year. And uh, my co-writer on these essays that I've done, uh, Ian Drake, and I have, have submitted a proposal for another Batman book that is uh, uh, accepting... Uh, proposals, so hopefully that will pan out as well. All right, let's get to it and let's talk about Green Arrow and Speedy. This episode is inspired by the fact that I have recently read the Golden Age Green Arrow Omnibus Volume 1. Now, this is a massive tome. Uh, we'll take a little closer look at the volume uh, itself in a bit, but uh, let's go ahead and get to some of the basics. The duo first appeared in Morphin Comics number 73, covered in November 1941. They were the new lead feature for the title, though Dr. Fate still appeared on the cover of that issue. You may recall that in the episode I did on More Fun Comics, we read this first Green Arrow story. You also may recall that in the tale, Green Arrow and Speedy just appear like they've been doing this for a while with no origin tale. Now you may think you know Green Arrow's origin, or at least the basics, but put that aside, because the origin we finally get in More Fun Comics number 89 is not the one you think you know. Therefore, we will not only go through the first Green Arrow tale again, for those of you who haven't read it before, but we will all, of course, read the origin presented in Morphin Comics number 89. We will also jump further ahead to Silver Age for the more familiar origin, because it bears comparing, uh, comparing it to, and it was drawn by none other than the legendary Jack Kirby. We will also check out Speedy's Silver Age origin in the story of the world's worst archer. 
although that story technically takes place in the Golden Age in Adventure Comics number 200, 1954. It's an interesting example of how the line between Gold and Silver Age is not as exact as we would like it to be. Of course, when you consider the fact that Green Arrow and Speedy were two of the only a handful of characters of, of Golden Age characters who were published continuously throughout the 50s into the Silver Age, it's, it's probably not that surprising. Uh, the, the traditional line of demarcation for the Golden Age, Silver Age, is Showcase Number 4, cover dated October 1956, uh, which featured the Flash, Barry Allen, the first Barry Allen Flash. Uh, he was the first revival by Julius Schwartz, but of course... Green Arrow didn't need a revival. He had been around the whole time, as had Speedy. And to muddle that line even further, John Jones, the Martian Manhunter, first appeared in Detective Comics number 225, November 1955, a full 11 months before uh, Barry Allen. However, we think of John firmly as a Silver Age character, and we don't even remember the Golden Age origin for Green Arrow and Speedy. Uh, and yet, the second origin of a Speedy we will look at will be the one we think of as a Silver Age origin, despite the fact that it actually took place in what is considered the Golden Age. Uh, before going any further, let's get some more basics out of the way. Uh, so, first off, let's talk about Green Arrow's appearances in the Golden Age. Where did he appear? We already said he started with issue number 73. And then he went from there all the way up through Adventure Com uh, More Fun Comics number 107. And then with that issue, uh, he and Speedy uh, switched over to Adventure Comics. They transitioned all the superhero characters to Adventure, and uh, More Fun became a humor title. Uh, so Adventure Comics 103, they began, and they went right up into the Silver Age with uh, their appearances in Adventure Comics to the point that you could buy a, a comic in the in the 60s with Superboy uh, in the early 60s, and Green Arrow was one of the backups. Uh, the pair additionally appeared in World Finest Comics number 7 through 28. Uh, in this volume, and they continue to appear in World Comic World's Finest Comics all the way into the Silver Age as well. So, you've got Morphin Comics, switching over to Adventure, and then they're concurrently appearing in World's Finest. They also appeared in Leading Comics. Uh, Leading Comics was the, the book that featured the the Seven Soldiers of Victory, the other Golden Age superhero team that DC had, with uh, the Shining Knight, the Vigilante, Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy, etc., and of course Green Arrow and Speedy. Um, and they appeared in, I think it was the first 14 issues uh, of that series. That was a quarterly title, so that would have been about three years uh, as part of that team. Uh, the omnibus here in front of me is a whopping number of pages. We're going to get the exact number here. It is almost 800 pages. Almost 800 pages. It's got a neat introduction by Roy Thomas, who many of you will know is a big fan of the Golden Age and a big part of DC's uh, uh, continuing to tell stories set in the Golden Age uh, through Roy's time at the company during the 80s with All-Star Squadron, Infinity uh, Inc., and that sort of thing. Uh, 
He he was created by Mort Weisinger. Uh, you will probably know him from uh, his famous Superman editor up from the fifties, I guess it was, uh, up through the sixties until uh, he took over. He was taken over from until Julia Schwartz took over the Superman books. But uh, Weisinger was a writer for for the company at the time, for DC at the time, and. The story goes that either he went home and came up with three new characters, or uh, he was given some names and he had to come up with stories for those characters. And those characters would, in fact, be Green Arrow, Aquaman, and I believe it's uh, Johnny Quick, or it might have been uh, the Vigilante. Why I'm hedging now, I'm not sure, but... We're going to double check that just to make sure we get the details right. Yeah, it's actually all those characters. Aquaman, Vigilante, Johnny Quick, and Green Arrow and Speedy. Um, there's one odd sort of thing about the, uh, the, the character is... Uh, his hair color. I think everyone thinks of Green Arrow as a blonde uh, in this day and age, but in his original appearance, he's got dark hair. He's got brown hair. And throughout the Golden Age, his hair color shifts randomly. And sometimes you, uh, you know, in, in your head, you're thinking, oh, it's a blonde headed Green Arrow. That's got to be later. That's a Silver Age story. But no, it's it's not. He uh, He actually has blonde, brown, and a couple times even Jobs is kind of reddish, which is how what we usually think of as Speedy's hair color. But in the very first story, they both have uh, uh they both have brown hair. And uh not that that's anything kind of crazy, but it is something just a little a little footnote to mention to the inconsistency sometimes found in in golden age comics. Um, this volume features three main artists uh, on the stories. The original artist is a fellow by the name of George Papp. Uh, George Papp not only helped design the character, but he also had a, had a big hand in drawing Superboy later on. Uh, he's going to draw a number of stories at the beginning of this volume, then he comes back at the very end once the the strip switches back over to Adventure Comics, and then later on he would go on to draw Superboy for many years. Uh, the other artists in this is uh, Cliff, actually an artist team, Cliff Young and Steve Brody, and they uh, uh, they handle, I would say, the bulk of the material. And then there's a third artist by the name of Maurice Del Borgo uh, that I am not really that familiar with until I read this uh, this book. Uh, and it's kind of interesting. Uh, I, I think uh, when you look at the art in this in this book, George Papp uh, in the early days looks to be the best of the of the different uh, art teams here. Uh, his draftsmanship is real good. Uh, it's a very sort of realistic approach uh, to the title. Everything seems I don't know, just sort of Green Arrow seems like an older fellow, honestly. He looks like he's in his, like, maybe 40, almost, uh, especially this first story. And that's how his his approach is uh, at the beginning. Um, 
and then later on when he comes back he uh he looks a little more uh a little more cartoony not tons cartoony but less detailed uh maybe a little rushed a little hurried like he's just trying to get the pages out faster um whereas in the very beginning it looks like he's taking a little bit more time uh, uh it may even be that he's trying to draw a little bit more like young and brody um when they're on the strip and and there's nothing wrong whatsoever with their uh with their work but it's it's fairly standard uh golden age work it's nothing uh extraordinary but they certainly did a ton of uh did a ton of pages uh back then on Green Arrow. Uh, the third artist, Maurice Del Borgo, may be the most interesting, because it starts out, and he's it's kind of uh, uh, almost sloppy at first. Uh, and then you realize that he's just really trying to work with a lot more uh, atmosphere, with a lot more uh, placement of blacks and shading and trying to get some more uh, contrast in the book, and there are times where some of his uh, his approach seems to have some of that Jack Kirby dynamism. Certainly, it's nowhere near as as good as as Kirby, what we think of as Kirby. But there's there's something to it that over the course of uh, his section on the book, I really came to have a have an affinity for and. My, my opinion on him really changed, especially once you get back to the the later stuff by George Papp. Uh, you know, Papp's lines are much cleaner, I would say, and uh, nowhere near as atmospheric. So that was a neat uh, a neat revelation for me to see. You know, a Golden Age artist I wasn't really familiar with, uh, and be able to compare him to. Uh, uh, George Papp, someone I was fairly familiar with, having read, uh, you know, some Green Arrow reprints over the years, and uh, you know, a number of uh, Superboy stories over over the years, uh, growing up, getting back issues and that sort of thing. So uh, that was that was neat. That was really neat to see. Um, let's take a look here at his writers. Uh, obviously. Uh, the initial writer is is Mort Weisinger, and he writes for a little while, but he's not the uh, the main writer at all. He uh, he writes the first few stories, and then he drops off, and we have a writer named Joseph Green uh, come on the title, and we also have Alvin Schwartz and later on France Heron, who will come in and uh, and be. Uh, a writer when Jack Kirby's drawing the character, which uh, we'll come to obviously a little bit later, and uh, uh, Joe Samaxson, uh and that's a tough name to say. I think I'm saying it right, Samaxson. He, and and he uh, he did a lot of uh, uh, Golden Age uh, stories for DC, uh, all the way up into the Silver Age. He's the co-creator of the Martian Manhunter. He uh, he did a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of work on the uh, on the title. So let's uh, let's go ahead and go back and look at that very first story again. And uh, we've already done it once on the show, so I'm not going to spend an excessive amount of time on it. But let's go take a quick look at it and refresh our memory, our collective comic book memory of of what we've got here. 
So the story opens up and it just says, The Green Arrow, the Green Arrow and Speedy, wizard arches of the century, crush a cavalcade of crime when murder visits the history club, and a mystery killer bequeaths strange dooms to the namesakes of famous men. And, uh, you know, Pap's art looks really good in this story. I really, I really like it. Uh, it it's got that early sort of grittier golden age look that uh, that we think of uh, maybe with some early Batman stuff just a, a little bit more grittier than what you might normally get uh, which you get later on not normally but when you get later on so we've got a, a group of men that are uh, part of a history club and they're being targeted and, and Green Arrow and Speedy got to figure out who the killer is and of course just like uh, the first Batman story the case of the chemical syndicate it's one of the people in the group that's trying to kill off the other ones uh, to get what they want so at the end of the story, they uh, they put a uh, a trophy uh, from the crime that said, "In the trophy room of Oliver Queen's apartment," and so another souvenir proving that crime doesn't pay. A fake bomb, but it ends the case of the namesake murders. Uh, so that's something that Green Arrow and Speedy have that is similar to another uh, pair of crime fighters you may be familiar with. He is. Uh, and that is, of course, Batman. They uh, they really did base the Green Arrow and Speedy on Batman and Robin. It's no secret. Everybody admits it. There's no, uh, yeah, you know, it's getting their knickers in a knot because of it. But when you read the stories, you can really, it's really pretty easy to see, you know, that the Green Arrow and Speedy hire uh, a man with a, a younger ward, just like. Uh, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. They've got uh, a car. It's called the Aeroplane uh, because it does sprout wings and fly when they need it to. So where Batman and Robin have a car and a, uh, uh, a bat plane at times, uh, the Green Arrow and Speedy have one vehicle that doubles as both. And it's a pretty neat device. It hasn't been used much uh, in recent years, but the last time it made an appearance it was, uh, it was a really neat uh, uh, a really neat moment. It was in the last issue that uh, uh, they had of the Green Arrow and during uh, during Rebirth, uh, uh, written by uh, Julie and Shauna Benson, and they had done a, a nice little run, a shortened run. Uh, unfortunately, not their choice. DC canceled for other reasons and then failed to really do anything else with the character at the time. But. Uh, Aeroplane is, is slightly different than Batman and Robin. Now, uh, of course, people think of Green Arrow's trick arrows, uh, but those are something that come along uh, later on. Back in the Golden Age, you don't really get uh, trick arrows. You might have an arrow with a, a rope tied to it or something like that, but the boxing glove arrow, the boomerang arrow, a lot of those different things that, uh, that people think of as some of the... Uh, attributes of the of the maybe the more sillier attributes of the character aren't aren't present there's just uh two guys who are really great archers out there uh shooting shooting bow and arrow which is in and of itself kind of different than uh a number of the characters you see even though there are other antecedents to uh archery themed characters but we're not going to go uh too much into that at this point so uh 
I know I, I teased it earlier. Uh, what's the deal with uh, this origin story I've mentioned? And uh, if it's not the origin story everybody is familiar with, what is it? Well, let's turn the page in our big ginormous volume here and go to More Fun Comics number 89 and get the origin of Green Arrow and Speedy. And that's interesting because they are... Uh, their origin is actually told in the same story. It's not uh, uh, it's not separate stories for them like it is later on in the Silver Age. Like like you like like I said, like you probably think you know. So on the cover here, we have Green Arrow and Speedy. Very small shot in the corner, uh, shooting arrows at uh, three criminals and using the arrows to go through parts of their their clothing and. Uh, stick them to the wall so they can't move and it uh, cover on it says flashback the origins of Green Arrow and Speedy are traced in a whirlwind action and a thrilling adventure entitled Birth of the Battling Bowman so that is an appellation we have heard before so here we go we're going to turn to the first page got a neat looking uh, splash page there is no crook, no racketeer, no graft greedy gangster who does not know and fear the Green Arrow and Speedy. There is no thug who does not curse the day that the Wizard Archers first joined forces in their crusade on crime. Wizard Archers, that is a, uh, a, a name that they are called throughout the Golden Age. I don't think I ever see Emerald Archers used, but they are called Wizard Archers together. Uh, they are not magical in the slightest, but I guess the idea is that they are, their skill is such that it is like magic. This is the story of that day, the tale of how a boy and a man met, the birth of the battling bowman. The dusk of the day, and in a murky alley, terror strikes at the hearts of a gang of thugs. It's the Green Arrow, and Speedy, we ain't got a chance. And they're shooting arrows at these guys, and lightning streaks the steel tip shafts lance out. Work fast, Speedy, we've got this case cleaned up. Check, GA, the gold gang will be all through in a jiffy. Now that is something that is used, is uh, uh, shortening Green Arrow to just a GA uh, Green Arrow would have been a mouthful for Speedy every time he wanted to call uh, call Oliver's name. There's something I should have mentioned, but I didn't. We'll get that in a minute. Them guys is throwing posies at us. Ow, they've shot some uh, potted plants off of a windowsill and they're falling on the gangsters' heads and uh, dis, uh, disorienting them. Hey, Lefty, did you read what it says behind us? No, I can't read. It says crime never pays. You'll have plenty of time to learn how in jail, says Green Arrow. As the police drag off the disgruntled hoods, Come on, you guys. The Green Arrow and Speedy finished your racket. I wish I'd never heard of them guys. I wish they'd never gotten together. So, they return home. And that's uh, one aspect that's certainly different from Batman and Robin is... Of course, Batman and Robin live in a mansion and have an underground cave. Uh, Greeno and Speedy live in town in an apartment, uh, but they do have an underground garage where they keep the uh, the car. Home again, the wizard archers slowly mount the stairs to their quarters. Well, this gold statue is another souvenir for our trophy room, a reminder of the gold gang we've just smashed. So, as we know, in, in the Batcave, there's the giant penny and the dinosaur. Uh, and, and other things that we, we see at different times in Batman and Robin's career. But for Green Arrow and Speedy, they have a like a, 
a trophy cabinet, which if you walked into somebody's house and you saw a cabinet for curios with glass doors and such, it would be awkward if, if you did, if you, not knowing who they are, and you why do you have these weird things in your, in your house? Speedy uh, says to Oliver, I've been thinking of what the thug said. It's funny how we got together, and it's funny that the gold statue was responsible for it. Yes, responds Oliver. Speedy continues, It all started out on Las Mesa, a million miles from nowhere. So, in this story, we'll learn a bit about their, their past, but just so you know, yeah, it's, it's Oliver Queen. He is a millionaire, just like Bruce Wayne. And uh, Speedy is Roy Harper. The same names. They've had the same names the entire time. These are not... Characters like the Flash or Green Lantern that went from uh, different secret identities and completely different stories. Although their stories do change over the years, their basic MO is the same and their costumes and didn't change until uh, Green Arrow didn't change until like '69, I think it is, uh, when Neil Adams uh, redesigned it. And then uh, Roy Harper was wearing some sort of Speedy costume all the way into the the '80s, I believe. All right, so here we go. Speedy's flashing back and telling the story. So pay close attention, because here's where we're going to learn all we can about about the uh, about the pair. I remember the first sight I had of Las Mesa was falling from a, was from a. I remember the first sight I had of Las Mesa was from a falling plane. Green Arrow, uh, sorry, Speedy and his dad. Just sees his story hopper, obviously, and his dad are in an airplane with a uh, with a Native American. Dad, Dad, what's happening? Where are we falling? The engines failed, son. We're gonna crash. Ugh, we crash on Lost Mesa. Sorry, he has broken English. I apologize. I'm reading it that way just to maintain the atmosphere of the story. Yes, we crashed on Lost Mesa. Uh, Speedy continues to narrate. A mountain of stone, far away from civilization. Only old. Quog, my father's Indian servant, and myself survived that ghastly wreck. My dad, he's he's dead. We stuck up here. No can climb up. No can climb down. Stranded here forever. So they're at a. Uh, imagine, uh, if you will, out in the American Southwest at, uh, you know, what's it called Monument State Park, and where you have the giant giant mesas way up in the air, and there's no way up or down unless you you fly so they are stuck on the top of one of these but oddly it has trees and grass uh, but after the first shock of sorrow life wasn't so bad on lost mesa uh, speedy continues how's the fire quog i found a spring nearby and there's plenty of game up here we won't starve there should be no water on the top of one of these things but there is Ugh, you learned shoot good roy i'll be able to do all the hunting from now on quog so the uh Native American fellow uh, who had worked for, for Speedy's dad has taught Roy how to shoot uh, a bow and arrow, and he's practicing uh, all the time. Uh, I put on weight and muscle. I was happy. I never wanted to leave Lost Mesa. Look, so he's made the best he can out of a bad situation. Look, Quag Venison will eat good tonight. You best hunter with bow and arrow I ever see. So they built a teepee, and they are... Um, living as best they can with the skills that the uh, American Native American has. Years passed. Then one day, Quag, Quag, look, a plane. It's coming this way. Now, Speed doesn't seem to really have aged at all, but it says years later. Yes, says Oliver back in the present. I was responsible for that plane coming to Lost Mesa, Roy. 
a month before I had been supervising my vast Indian collection at the City Museum. The curator says, Queen, you've assembled the finest collection of Indian lore the world has ever seen. Glad to hear you say so, sir. It's taken me ten years to collect. There was little about Indian life that I hadn't mastered, including archery. Golly, Mr. Queen, you can sure shoot that old bow. It's my business to know how. But one night, when I was working late at the museum, what was that noise? It sounded like someone breaking into the museum. Hey, what was that? So Oliver has now surprised the uh, the thieves that are broken in. It's one of them noisy guards. Get him. This arms collection is worth a fortune if we can heist it. I grabbed a solid steel shield quickly. So besides uh, Indian or Native American uh, weapons and artifacts, we have some other uh, more medieval-looking artifacts as well. I've got to stop them. Hey, this guy is too smart. We'll take care of that shield. You ain't so tough. He's got a halberd, and he's jamming it against the shield as, as Oliver reaches for a sword. I can, teach you, I can teach you a few things about fighting, though. It was proven in the 16th century that a man with a sword could beat a man with a spear. Hey, this guy knows his stuff, and he chops the end of the halberd off. And I know that kind of stuff you boys can't take. Gee, he can dish it out. With every ounce of muscle, I hurt myself with the legs of the hoods. No more fooling, boys. I've got to get back to work. Hey, what's he hitting us with now? I don't know, but it hurts. Shots rang out as we all fell in a heap, and livid flames spat from the gun muzzles. Look out! Fire! So, the uh, the gun that is being fired, the uh, the mechanism is uh, when it when it ignites the, the gunpowder that's in the shell, <laughs> it's creating a little bit of uh, spark, and it ends up catching one of the uh, uh, Native American uh, blankets on fire that's hanging on the wall. And when the police arrived, hey, that's Dippy Parker's gang. He just captured great work. My whole collection, 10 years' work, destroyed by these thugs, burned to the ground, so the museum catches on fire, and everything he's collected is destroyed in the fire. I spent years walking home now. I spent years making my collection for the good of mankind, and then man comes and destroys it in seconds. I went to my club, a desperate man. Curator Morgan, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Now take it easy, Queen. This has been a horrible shock to all of us. We must keep cool. I can't stand this. All my work gone. I've got to get away. I must get away to some place where I can forget the kind of men who would do this. Why don't you continue your archaeological work? Go out to Las Mesa and explore the Indian remains. It seemed that the only solution to Midas Fair was escape. Escape. You'll find some things, some valuable things out there. It's supposed to be a hidden gold mine. All right, I'll go. We jump back to the, uh, the present, and Oliver continues to talk. Of course, I didn't know about anybody else being interested in Lost Mesa, too. Well, I thought I was marooned, marooned there forever. It was a great shock when that plane arrived. Speedy responds, and this is kind of awkward. They're in the bathroom now, and... Oliver is standing at the sink, looks like he's going to shave, and Speedy's in the shower. I didn't know what to make of the strangers who landed, and so now we're back in the past, and we go to that bit where we jump from Speedy's story. Welcome to Lost Mesa. Hey, look, a brat. Never mind him. Fine queen, we got to work fast. Come on, brat, talk. Where's queen? Where's that hidden gold mine he's after? Quog, Quog. Who's the kid yelling for? Is that queen's voice name? Go me, you big punk. Oof. Speedy throws a, uh, 
a left hook at him. I'd seen guns before. I knew how deadly they were. I was in a spot. You've got no right to come in to Lost Mesa and push me around. Lefty Louie, finish this brat, will you? He's a pain. Ow! In a minute, boss. Suddenly. Ugh, white man, no use thunderstick on boy. And Quog comes flying in with a, uh, like a linebacker. Hey! It's an Indian! I can put the heat on, too. Roy kicks the fly, uh, the cinders and the, and the, and the fire uh, into the faces of two of the thugs. Ugh, this man make him bad stew. Quog hits one of them over the head with a uh, cooking pot. Help! That's putting him in hot water, Quog. But without weapons, we were no match for those killers. We get away quick now. Come. You said it, Quog. Don't let him get away. We safe now. White men been... White men far behind. Yeah, Quogue, but what about in front? Look. And here we have Oliver Queen walking on the scene. Hi there. I didn't know Lost Mesa was inhabited. Another one of those thugs, Quogue. I'll handle him. And then we switch to the present. And now it's Oliver's turn in the shower. I didn't know that the thugs had beaten me to the Mesa by half an hour. I couldn't understand why you were so belligerent. Back to the past. You get out of here and leave me alone. Tell your friends to get out, too. That's a warning. What in blazes are you talking about, youngster? Your first punch was quite a surprise. Yes, quite a surprise. And Speedy goes right after him. And this is only a sample of what you're going to get. Hey! But just when I figured we might be able to talk things over. <clears throat> Hold everything, friend. There's some kind of mistake here. Someone else started talking. The gangsters show up now. Very pretty fight, boys. Great show. It gave us a laugh. You're in luck. There are your pals. What? Let's step into that tent, Queen. We want to ask you a few questions. Aren't they friends of yours? Do they look it? And now they're being uh, forced into the teepee that uh, uh, Quogue and Speedy have been living in uh, at gunpoint uh, from the thugs. All right, Queen, if you know what's good for you, you better give us the location of that gold mine. Gold mine? What gold mine? I don't know what you're talking about. I came here to do research on Indian weapons. Suddenly, I realized... I'd seen one of those thugs before. Don't give me any of that. I heard you talking about a hidden gold mine at your club. That's why we came out here. Ah, the waiter from the club. You listened to our conversation, so you thought we were talking about a real gold mine. What an idiot you are. We were talking about archaeological research. Valuable Indian remains. <laughs> you poor fool. What if that smile off your face, wise guy? Or I'll show you who's a fool. We don't believe you and your malarkey. And it began to thunder and storm outside, but the weather wasn't as nasty as those thugs. You guys can lay it here in the rain for a while until we figure out how to make you talk. You ain't gonna give us the runaround. Why did you have to come nosing into Lost Mesa and bring those guys after you, you big lug? Shut up, brat. You think I'm enjoying this? So, they're obviously not getting off to a very good start. Suddenly, I was amazed to find I was free. Quog, I knew you'd be around sooner or later. Shh! Don't make noise. Come with me. You and Quogue were silent enough, but I was clumsy. I made too much noise. Hey, what's that noise? You big clumsy lug. Oh, uh, sorry. He kicks a bucket. Clang. Must run now. Get him. Don't let him get away. Follow him. Your clothes are so bright they make a swell target for those thugs. Here, rub yourself with this grass. Now, please realize that as Speedy is saying this, Oliver is wearing a white shirt and green pants, and Speedy is wearing a bright red pants in the shirt, and he says that Oliver's too right. Your grass trick was nothing new to me. I knew all about Indian lore, from archery to war paint. They'll never be able to see me now against the background of the forest. Don't start boasting, wise guy. We're not out of the woods yet, and it's still all your fault. Quogue turns around. You two stop fighting. Go to the cave up there where the bows and arrows 
Cash, I cover rear for you. Okay, Quogue, and when I get a hold of the bow, we'll make things hot for these thugs. That was a thrilling race to the cave with Quogue behind us, holding back the thugs. Quick, quick, no can hold on much longer. And the thugs are shooting at them while Quogue is firing off his arrows as best he can. Another couple of seconds, this lug don't climb so bad for a city sissy. Where do you get that? Sissy stuff. I was a four-letter college, and a four-letter man at college. But just as we reach the cave, Quogue is shot. Quogue, Quogue, easy. I've got him. They murdered him. He was my only friend, the only one I had in the world. Speedy is clearly uh, beaten up over it. Take it easy, boy. We'll even up the score for Quogue. We'll bring those murderers to justice. But how? What are we gonna do? We're trapped in here, in this dead end cave. It isn't a dead-end cave. I feel fresh air blowing through, and that means there's a way out. We've got to find it. I'll never forget how we climbed and struggled through the dim passages of those caverns. You're pretty smart. Quogan, I never knew this cave went back into this mesa. You're pretty smart yourself. That's a cute idea, making an arrow a torch. And then we discovered... Glory be, gold! An ancient council room. So there was a hidden gold mine after all. What an ironic jest. Suddenly... Look out, they followed us. There they are, in the gold mine, too. Now let's put them away for keeps, guys. Shoot fast and straight, boy, and be careful, no killing. Are you kidding? You couldn't shoot fast or straight. Out of the way and let an expert handle this. We're back in the present now as Oliver and Roy are getting dressed. And the funny thing is, I really meant it. It didn't seem that was that a city-bred man, even if he was a college athlete, could shoot a bow and arrow. I thought I'd call your bluff. Hey, uh, speedy, uh, pins one of them against a uh, stalagmite uh, with an arrow. Let's see you do as well as this. All right, there's your answer. Oh, man, these guys is deadly. Uh, the gr green arrow, or Oliver at this point, is able to hit a hit his, uh, hit his the thug's gun with the, directly with the arrow, not going to have his hand. Wow, you're okay, mister. But thugs got tough as the... But things got tough as the thugs cornered us. What do we do now? We haven't many arrows left, and then we got plenty of bullets. Hold them off just for a few minutes. I've got an idea. This medicine this ma medicine mask is the medicine for you. And he hits the guy in the face. Quick, drill the kid before he ducks back. But I was too quick for those gunmen. Golly, that kid's speedy. We can't get him. How am I doing, pal? You're doing fine, speedy. And that's why he's called speedy. Stand by, speedy. Here we go. Oliver's behind the corner, and he's going to shoot an arrow uh, in the air. Let's rush him now. Watch out for the big guy. He shoots a mean green arrow. So there's the green arrow's name. Mean green. Rhymes. That shaft you shot to the ceiling was the first arrow line I ever saw. So here we go. We have a uh, the first trick arrow. An arrow with a, a rope tied to it. Say, what is this anyway, Mr. Green Arrow? It's an arrow line. I made it from the rawhide strips cut from the quivers. It'll hold us. Come on. And they swing over the chasm onto the other side. Happy landing, Speedy. Same to you, Green Arrow. So they're calling each other sort of uh, these names almost as a, as a, I guess, an insult because they were called it originally by the thugs because they still haven't quite become friends yet. That's kind of a different way of, of getting your superhero name. But as we landed, a ton of solid gold went thurning down, a gold statue. They're being crushed. We couldn't help that, Speedy, and it pays for Quogue's murder. I like the way you talked, Oliver. It sounded real and honest, the way a man should talk. Speedy, 
I've learned a lesson. You can't run away from evil men. You must turn and fight them. As we have with the weapons we understand, we must always fight them. This gold will help us financially, and we've been fighting ever since, Roy, under the names those thugs unconsciously gave us. And with the same weapons that we used then, we'll always fight against the men who bring evil into the world. Now let's put another trophy on the shelf, our latest one. And then a reverent pause before a shabby trophy, souvenir of the birth of a great fighting team. Quogs, blow and arrows. A lot more happened before our team really got organized, but that will always be the symbol of our first victory, the victory over ourselves. Well, there you go. I'll bet that wasn't the origin you were expecting, or maybe it was. I don't know. Uh, a couple things we can uh, obviously point out that I didn't uh, uh, spend too much time on. The... Uh, the, the use of the term Indian instead of Native American is, of course, uh, part and parcel of the 1940s and that era and how people spoke and referred to things. The uh, accent they and manner of speech they wrote the Indian having, or the uh, Native American having, is also part and parcel of the era. That story was written by Joseph Action and drawn by Cliff Young and Steve Brody. I think it's a neat story. It's different. It's not quite as, uh, it doesn't seem so simple and pat. It really is two people in a bad situation together that have to try to make the best of things as, uh, as they find themselves in a tough situation. It's, uh, it, it, I guess the, the basic, that basic idea lends itself to the Green Arrow origin we, we, we know in the Silver Age, and like I said, we'll get to that shortly. But, uh, but it's, it's a different origin than, we, uh, than we're used to thinking of for, for, for Green Arrow. Uh, Alright, let's, uh, let's turn the page here and talk about the Wizard Archer's stories here. We have a few recurring villains in the Golden Age. Uh, uh, the first one is the Professor of Crime. He appears three or four times in this omnibus. He is a, uh, a university professor who thinks he can use his intellect to uh, devise, uh, you know, un unstoppable crimes, uh, crimes that no one can 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 solve. Uh, he he overhears the uh, some gangsters or thugs or whatever one day and he's sort of like that's a terrible idea what you're planning I can do much better than that and so he, he's weird though he 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 has remorse that he's done this bad thing at the end of the story and promises never to do it again but he ends up doing it three or four more times and uh there's always a caveat like oh I promised I wouldn't do this again but 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 I just have to do it just test his, his intelligence. And one time he does it to try to earn money for some someone that's uh, that's needy and needs the help, and it doesn't you know go as he planned, and someone gets hurt, and of course Green Arrow has to step in and uh, help uh, help save the day. Um, uh, there's another uh, recurring character, but he doesn't show up uh, until the uh, almost the very end of the omnibus. Uh, and this is a character that is called Bullseye. So, 
appropriately named uh, villain for uh, archery themed superhero but oddly enough he is dressed as a clown uh, and Roy Thomas in the introduction makes the point uh, just in case you forgot Green Arrow was a riff on Batman he has his own Joker and uh, that's kind of how, how it reads uh, most of his uh, his crimes are uh revenge based uh, he's in jail originally as a uh, uh he's he's an acrobat and uh he he has, so he has a circus theme already to him but let's just take a quick look this is going to be from world's finest comics number 24 um September 1946. Observe the clown, laughing, master of movement, joking, jester, the merry midway. But since when does murder hold laughs? Thus it was that behind this palliacci of peril lay a sinister brain of evil intent, a baleful buffoon whose deadly trail held an ominous invitation for the green arrow and youthful speedy in the story of The Arrow Meets the Bullseye. So he is a uh, uh, an acrobat named Lipo, and uh, uh, he is in prison. He escapes from prison. I'm trying to hear what it says, why he's in prison. I don't remember why he's in prison. I guess it's not really a matter. But he's in prison, and he he escapes, and he ends up trying to uh, disguise himself as uh, a clown at a, at a circus. And he his gimmick is that you can't hit the clown. He's an acrobat. He's able to jump out of the way. Eventually, uh, he's found out by some uh, uh, looks like FBI agents, uh, but he escapes, and then he maintains the clown disguise and starts committing more crimes. And uh, he tries to uh, challenge Green Arrow, saying, "You can't hit the bullseye," uh, and that's kind of how he gets his name. Uh, and so that's. That's his first appearance. Of course, he's stopped, and uh, he only has a few appearances uh, in the Golden Age. His final appearance is in Adventure Comics number one thirty-seven, uh, uh, February nineteen forty-nine. Don't know why that took so long to say. That was awkward. <laughs> Uh, there is uh, one other villain who we see that is a repeat offender, and his name is Skylark. Uh, he makes exactly two appearances, and oddly enough, there is a they reused the name in the early 2000s uh, for a, a, a story with with three sisters. Uh, I couldn't get my hands on that story to compare it so much, but uh, it was uh, it was a, a, a modern reusing of of that name. Uh, I don't think we ever see uh, Bullseye used again as a uh, a villain for Green Arrow. Although of course he does have uh, uh, a Marvel Comics counterpart, uh, one of Daredevil's uh, greatest enemies, Bullseye. So let's take a look now at the second origin for Speedy. As I said earlier. Uh, Adventure Comics 89 has that uh, has that one origin for them both, but then uh, down the line in Adventure Comics uh, not a, more fun comics 89 Adventure Comics number 200 uh, has the uh, the origin for Speedy that you may uh, may be more familiar with, 
and uh, we're going to take a look at that real quick. Um, I don't have a copy of Adventure Comics 200, just so you know. What I do have is uh, DC Special Blue Ribbon Digest number 9, uh, Secret Origins of Superheroes from May of 1981. And there are some neat stories in here. This is um, the origin of the Atom, the Swamp Thing, Batgirl, Aqualad, uh, Green Lantern's Oath, Superboy Finds Crypto, the origin of Dr. Fate from more fun comics way back when, uh, uh, the Green Arrow's first case, which we'll get to, uh, but it comes later chronologically, so we're going to read this one first, which is the origin of Speedy, the world's worst archer. Sometimes in a nightmare, Green Arrow's young assistant Speedy uh, relives the heartbreaking events of his first meeting with the world's most famous bowman. Shudderingly, Speedy recalls his fantastic failure with the bow when he was not Speedy but an eager lad named Roy Harper with a dream of glory he could not match with his skill. Let us go back in time then to that shocking period in Roy Harper's life when he was the world's worst archer. Uh, it is touted as How the Green Arrow Met Speedy, and it is drawn by Lee Elias. I don't have a writer on this one, I'm sorry. Uh, Lee Elias uh, drew a ton of Green Arrow stories in the uh, in the late 50s and early 60s. Uh, I guess actually in the mid-50s, too. <laughs> uh, so here you have Green Arrow walking across the field with a, uh, with a grandstand in the background that's empty, and Speedy's trying to shoot an arrow to hit a target. And uh, it curves out of the way and goes into the grandstand. Ugh, missed again. What, what happened to me? I can't hit anywhere near the target. Please give me another chance, Green Arrow. I know I can hit that goalpost. Sorry, son. Take it from me. You're wasting your time and mine. You'll never make an archer. So as, as you know from the previous story, Green Arrow and Speedy had their origin in the same story together. Whereas here we have... Uh, Green Arrow and Speedy. Green Arrow already exists, and uh, Roy is trying to impress Green Arrow here. One day, several years ago, as an eager youth visits the Greenville Fairgrounds, all aboard the space platform, get a bird's eye view of the fair, only 25 cents a ride. I've got to find Green Arrow. I'll, it'll save time if I spot him from that aerial platform. Here's a quarter, one ride, please. Minutes later, carried aloft by the magnetic lift, there he is, giving a demonstration for charity. What a wonderful person the Green Arrow is. When he's not fighting crime, he's raising funds for the needy. Presently, as the boy joins the crowd of admirers in front of a shooting gallery, look, look, Green Arrow is snuffing out all the candles with a volley of arrows. What sharpshooting. Next, Green Arrow enters his baseball batting cage. Adjust that baseball pitching machine to the maximum speed. Fire a dozen balls at me, one right after the other. Okay, Green Arrow, here they come. I'll thread all the baseballs simultaneously with my unbreakable plastic needle arrow. Trick arrow. It's incredible, the arrow is piercing all twelve baseballs in a row, making a horsehide necklace. Later, as Green Arrow good-naturedly signs autographs, one autograph album strangely bears a written message. Please test me, Green Arrow, my live stream is to aid you in your work. Roy Harper, eh? Very well, Roy. Let's get to the archery range. Shortly at the carnival archery range, hitting that bullseye should be easy. I missed. The arrow's curving away. Yes, it's heading for that water tower. It, it must be the wind, Green Arrow. A sudden gust of wind deflected the shaft. We'll soon find out, lad. I'll try a shot. You scored a bullseye. Uh, maybe the wind died down. Maybe it did. 
See me sometime when our uh, sudden winds won't affect your aim. Good luck, lad. Moments later, I'm so ashamed. I tried to alibi myself, but Green Arrow knew there was no wind. But what could have gone wrong? How will I explain my poor performance to my teacher, Chief Bravebow? An hour later, the trailer camp outside the carnival grounds. I don't know what happened, Bravebow. Maybe I was too tense. Maybe. No excuse. You ride pony. Practice trick shots like Bravebow. Teach you since you were a little boy. Use my bow and arrows. For hours as the youth practices diligently. You see, Chief, I'm doing fine here. I haven't missed a shot. Me not satisfied yet. Me bring you 200-pound foot bow. Me fixed target. You fire. Soon, while lying on his back, his feet raised to gain the proper anger from maximum elevation, Roy draws the bowstring with both hands. More elevation. More. Remember, target 500 yards away. All right, now fire. Gosh, the chief is a perfectionist. He's never satisfied to let a score 100 hits out of 100 shots. Later, when the target examined, me proud of you. You better than me. And Bravo was the best archer in whole Sioux tribe. Tonight, you'll amaze Green Arrow. So we've got the uh, affected speech pattern here for this uh, additional Native American in Roy's new origin story. If I don't get nervous again and make this arrow swerve, I still can't understand what happened last time. That night at the campfire, this buckskin, co this buckskin costume you made for me fits perfectly, Brabo. Good. You take this flint arrow, Brabo, kill his first buffalo with it. It will bring you luck, too, while you trail Green Arrow to help him fight evil ones. If you prove worthy in battle, Green Arrow may be glad to become your new guardian. Me getting too old. Me soon go to happy hunting grounds. When your father died many years ago, me promised to raise his infant son. You see, your father risked his life to save mine in a big forest fire. Me never forget this, Ranger Harper. Me return noble deed one day. When your father die in avalanche, me keep my promise. Me raise you like own son. Now brave, though too old. Must pass you on to another man. That is why we seek out Green Arrow. Look, Chief, the police fired a flare arrow to summon the Green Arrow near the fairgrounds. He can use my help now. I must go. Thus, shortly after the Arrow car races up to the wax museum and Green Arrow dashes inside. I had a feeling the Green Arrow would show up, but we're prepared for him. Heave that smoke bomb, Ed. You bet. This is one stick if the Green Arrow won't bust up. Seconds later, as the thieves reach the street. Come on, boys. Green Arrow is stumbling around in the smoke. Nothing can stop us now. That real bow and arrow and a wax statue of Robin Hood can stop him if Brabo's flint arrow flies straight. An instant later, the statue's bow twangs and, Yow! I'm pinned to the car! Then as the wax figure falls feet first, it lands right on their heads. <laughs> I did it. My trick shot KO'd all the holdup men. Green Arrow will be impressed I used his Robin Hood to do I used Robin Hood to do his job. But when Green Arrow staggers out, don't kid me, boy, you haven't the skill for such a trick shot. The wind accidentally snapped the statue's wires, looked at the rest, but but it's no use. In that smoke filled room, Green Arrow didn't see me. I'll retrieve the I'll retrieve the arrow and tell Bravebow what happened. Later at the trailer camp. Here's your flint arrow. It brought me bad luck. Despair not, lad. Tomorrow you will see Green Arrow at the carnival's track and field games. Ask for another trial and you will surely succeed. At the track meet the next day, Roy Harper wins the 100-yard dash in record time. Roy Harper leaves the field behind in high hurdles. Roy Harper sets a new record in the mile. As Green Arrow presents the victory cup to the amazingly speedy winner, Thanks for the cup, Green Arrow, but I'd appreciate even more another chance to prove my archery skill.
All right, Rory, get dressed and meet me here after the crowd leaves. Hours later in the deserted fair air fair arena, as Roy fires an arrow at a wooden goalpost, I miss again. It's curving off. It's hitting that middle railing. What's wrong with me? Look, lad, you're wasting your time and mine. Take it from me. You'll never make an archer. Come and forget about becoming my assistant. As Roy sadly returns to the trailer, it's no good, brave bow. I disgrace myself with Green Arrow. However good I am in practice, in a real test, I'm a failure. Don't give up. Me give you Flint Arrow. It cut the statue's wires and will help you again. Now rest and wait your next chance. The next chance arrives a few hours later as a siren arrow echoes through the hills. Another trick arrow. Look, arrow, chase, arrow car chases Batman's car into canyon. Take my Flint Arrow. Follow them. It must be that charity fund robbery we heard about over the radio. They heard about a charity fund robbery over the radio? The thieves split up. They're going to rendezvous in the hills. Presently, as the arrow car meets an impassable obstacle, my catapult seat gives me a short cut upwards. They're getting together on the cliff top. It's Green Arrow. Our barricade didn't stop him. Grenade him. So that's something the arrow car can do. Is uh, it's got like an ejector seat, but it's uh, it's for for useful things. So he takes the uh, he's sitting in his seat and it flings him up into the air. So he's able to go up half the side of the mountain, uh, almost like he's flying. But as Green Arrow hits the dirt, he lets fly a special arrow. My paintbrush arrow will swab their windshield with paint. They can't travel without visibility. There's another trick arrow. But the car uh, proceeds down the canyon road with only Wood Harper between the thieves and their getaway. I can't get a clear shot from the overhanging cliff. I'll cling to this bush with my legs if I, as if I were riding... Uh, up. Side saddle on a pony. What's it say? Not side saddle. Riding something. This reprint is not the best. If I were riding... So imagine I'm hanging off the side of a pony. Shortly, as both Green Arrow and Roy reach the stop car. Look at the rear tire, Green Arrow. It's flat. I punctured it with my Flint Arrow. There's no air sticking out of that tire. I didn't see it anything. The puncture was probably caused by a sharp stone. My paint smear stopped him. Hardly the windshield wipers wipe the windshield clean, but I give up. Keep my bow and arrows as a souvenir of my failure. I'm going back to the trailer camp. By nightfall, I'll be far away. But an hour later, as the arrow car tows a rattling vehicle in a camp, look, Roy, I dug the flint arrowhead out of the tire tube. It proves you did stop the car. The shaft broke off. Tell me, did you ever go for a ride on the Carnival space platform? Yes, yesterday before I saw you. For the first time, why? A huge magnet raises that platform. It magnetized all your metal arrows so that your non-flint test arrows all headed for metal objects. Why to the target? And because you're as quick with the bow as on a track hereafter, I'm calling you Speedy, partner. Aha! Aha! Me tell you Flint Arrow will bring you luck, Speedy, says Brapo. And that is how Green Arrow and Speedy became partners in the Silver Age, even though the story is from the Golden Age. Barely. Okay, so we're going to look at a second origin for Green Arrow. Now, I know technically it is uh, a uh, Silver Age story, but we're talking about the Golden Age Green Arrow, and I think it's better comparing uh, the, the story we know uh, most people are familiar with with Green Arrow's origin on a desert island and all that. Uh, but the first time it was presented, it was uh, done by Jack Kirby. Um, 
This is technically a Silver Age Orchid. Uh, the basis of it describes the Orchid fans are most familiar with. Uh, it's interesting to contrast it with the Golden Age Orchid from Warfun 89, so let's take a look at it together. Uh, it is originally from Adventure Comics number 256, February 1959, uh, uh, written by Jack Kirby and Ed Heron, and of course, drawn by Jack Kirby. And it's called The Green Arrow's First Case. Now, you might ask yourself, I didn't, what's Jack Kirby doing on Green Arrow? Uh, this neat little collection here is uh, not real big. It's not too much bigger than a regular 30-page comic book right now. Uh, it is exactly, it's about two of them. It's 65 pages. Uh, and this came out back in 2001, and when I saw it at the comic shop, I had to buy it because it was Jack Kirby doing uh, Green Arrow in the late 50s. Um, from the back of it, it, it sort of sets up the... Uh, where Kirby was at the time. It was 1958, and as hard as it may be to believe, just over a decade after it helped Joe Simon create Captain America and the entire genre of romance comics, a year after devising the challenges of the unknown, and three years before he co-created the Fantastic Four and the entire Marvel Universe, Jack Kirby was looking for work. Comics had fallen upon hard times, and not only comics titles, but entire publishing houses were disappearing overnight. Jack had a family to support and was looking for work to pay the bills, and DC Comics offered him, you'll pardon the pun, a second string backup strip, Green Arrow, which is appearing in Adventure Comics, and strangely enough, for a time, concurrently in World Finest Comics. So, that is, uh, that is where, where we are with it. So, it is the, one, two, three, four, five, seven, it is actually one of the last stories that uh, that he did uh, on Green Arrow. So let's turn to that real quick. And this has been reprinted elsewhere, so you may have seen this before somewhere in your travels, this particular re uh, reprint. Did you ever wonder how Green Arrow came to be? Were you ever curious about how he became such a fabulous archer and how he invented his thousand and one trick arrows? If so, then join Speedy, his young companion, in a surprising adventure that turns back the calendar to reveal the Green Arrow's first case. This is the Green Arrow of today. I'll fire up the flare arrow, Speedy, lighting up the street. Then the law can move in on those crooks. And this was the origin of the Green Arrow. And we see, we go for a panel of the Green Arrow and Speedy as we expect to see them in there costumes and then we have uh green arrow on the desert island in the uh robinson crusoe kind of look with the uh the costume made out of uh, plants and stuff there's only one way one way to stop these mutineers that's by using trick arrows but i've never used them like this before will they work as oliver queen and his young ward roy harper watch a morning tv newscast and for the first time since remote starfish island was observed by plane an expedition is saying to explore it Great guns, exclaims Oliver. Here's an arrow shot of the island. Oliver, what's wrong? Get into your costume, Roy. You've got to get to that island before the expedition does. If not, my secret identity will be discovered. Within moments, Oliver and Roy have switched to their famed costumes as Green Arrow and Speedy, and as they soar away in their aeroplane, it was on that same starfish island that the Green Arrow was born. That's right, I remember now. You told me something about it a long time ago. Yes, up to then I was just Oliver Queen, wealthy playboy world traveler. I was on a voyage in the South Seas. One night, I accidentally fell off the ship, and my shouts for rescue were unheard. By morning, I drifted far off course, and then I spotted it. An island! Luck is with me! I crawled ashore and slept for several hours, then began to explore the island. 
Not much chance of a ship anchoring here, even if one did come by, the shoals would prevent it from sailing in. I found a cavern which provided shelter and was able to start a fire by striking stones together. Yes, I've got a home and a fire, and I've found fresh spring water, but I need food. I fashioned arrows, much after the method used by Indians. I chipped stone to get arrowheads and tied them to the shafts with thin, strong vines. Now I better get in some practice before I lose my first arrow with my first shot. I drew a target on the hillside, and you should have seen that shot. That first shot. Drat! I overshot it. Hours and days of practice taught me that the farther away a target is, the higher you aim, and I soon began to learn how to allow for windage. Now I'm beginning to get the hang of this business. It was a bitter lesson when I shot my first fish. It swam away with my only arrow. What's the good of nailing a fish unless you can bring it in? Then I decided to improvise a fishing line, so I attached a strong vine to the arrow's shaft, and thus, for the first time, the rope arrow was used. That's more like it, but I think I can devise even a better method of catching more fish. Now that's interesting. In the original origin, in this origin, he creates the uh, arrow line, the rope arrow, uh, on the spot uh, in order to solve a problem. I later fashioned the net from more vines and put it inside an arrow shaft, which I had hollowed out. Then fire, When fired, the net should fall free from the arrow. Let's see if this works. It opened, the net is falling. So far, so good. What a catch. He's got a bunch of fish in his, his homemade net. My success with these tricks was so encouraging, I quickly realized ingenious arrows could be used for almost any purpose, so it became a challenge to invent new ones. There must be a means of getting coconuts with an arrow. Hmm, I think I have it. I fitted an arrowhead into a shaft so that it turned freely. Now if I had a rubber band, I could rig up a tricky little motor. I removed the elastic band from my socks, attached it to a small hooks on the arrowhead, and then wrapped it around the shaft. Now for the coconut test. I fired, and as the arrow sped upwards the coconut, towards the coconut, the elastic unwound itself, spinning the arrowhead in the process. Another variation of the rope area, but I'll call this one the drill arrow. Success! The revolving arrowhead drilled through the tough shell. Coconut for supper. Then to camouflage myself while hunting small game, I covered myself with a green leaf suit, and you might say this was the origin of the green arrow costume. Important during all of this was the fact that each day I went into the cavern and chiseled a sort of record on the stone wall. There, I've noted my name, the day that I came here, my progress with the bow and arrow, and all about my green costume, an island diary. And then one evening, my lonely Robinson Crusoe existence was broken by a shot. A ship! A ship! It's a commercial freighter! That was one of the deck guns I heard. Maybe they're signaling to see if anybody's ashore. Now what's a commercial ship doing with a deck gun? Maybe pirates are a problem. That's not something I'm familiar with, though. Since the ship was anchored, I didn't take time to start a fire, which would be the only signal to attract them in the descending darkness, but instead commit swimming out to them. Freedom at last! I easily made my way up the great anchor chain, only to learn with disappointment that part of the crew had mutinied. You won't get away with this, Carter. You know the penalty for mutiny. Ha! But the time we unload the cargo and sell it, you won't be around to report anything, Captain. My aim was to quell the mutiny. I first rubbed my face with anchor chain grease, so that the deck lights wouldn't reflect against the whiteness of my face, and that became the first time I ever wore a mask. Now, to make my move. But the deck watch spotted me and shouted an alarm. There's a guy loose on the deck! Get him! My drill arrow, the same one that penetrated the coconut shells. Now if it'll do that with that oil barrel. I shot my arrow and a jagged hole appeared in the thin middle of the barrel. And, 
Look out, it has flooded the deck with oil. Blast it, I can't stay on my feet. Quickly, I brought the net arrow into play. Huh? What happened? We're caught in a net. I knew then in a split second that my existence on the island could now serve a useful purpose. When I returned to civilization, I would fight crime with my trick arrows. From then on, I would become two people, Oliver Queen and... That green costume, the bow and arrow, and the tricky arrows, and that mass of grease. Just who are you? Says the policeman. The green arrow, that's it. Just call me the green arrow. So you sailed home and became the green arrow after that. But everything is written down on the cavern wall. Exactly. And if the expedition sees it, they know my secret identity. And right now, they're going ashore. But a moment later, too late, they're entering the cavern. And another minute, they know the whole story. No, wait, they're carrying a gyro counter to check for radiation. This island might have recently been sprayed by nuclear fallout. That gives me an idea. Our fake uranium arrow were fired into the ground about here. It gives off waves that simulate uranium deposits. How handy to have such an arrow, and why would you need that one? <laughs> an instant later within the cavern. Listen, the guider can is jumping. Something's hot in there. Must be due to those recent H-bomb tests. Let's clear out. Primitive people must have lived here at one time, judging by those arrows we found in a cave. But there's nothing left except some radiation. We're leaving. Now we can destroy your old diary in the cavern. Yes, for a moment I thought my career would end on this island just where it began. My secret identity is still safe. Well, there you have the origin you probably are familiar with. Um, it's interesting. It's it's not really a uh, a, a retcon. Uh, it's more like an uh, an update, uh, I guess, of the store of the, of the character. This is kind of where it, it becomes more like the Flash or, or Green Lantern or the Atom, except that the, uh, the costume, uh, the secret identity name, the, uh, the MO, they're all exactly the same as they were in the Golden Age. They've just given us a, a, a completely different origin. Uh, and of course, there really wasn't a fan base that was around that was going to remember more fun comics, uh, 89, which would have been 59, 40... Uh, what, 16 years beforehand? No one, no one knew that story. I don't even know if that origin is uh, retold at any point throughout the character's career. Uh, this is probably the first time we get an origin for Green Arrow since that first one back in Morphland 89. Um, you know, back in the Golden Age, there was little sense of continuity, so it, it's not all that surprising. And and you can see that in some stories. It's almost like the writer had no idea how Ollie and Rory met the first time, or how Green Arrow started his career. Uh, even uh, even in other other stories, the way they they talk about it, it, it seems like they didn't know that they they met and became, you know, Green Arrow and Speedy on the same adventure. In the introduction to this uh, collection, which is, is great, by the way, this small one, uh, it talks that, about Kirby hoping that this Green Arrow series would have spun out into a solo series he could have he worked on. Uh, but before going into too much detail, I'm going to stop about that so I can leave, uh, leave the rest of this collection for maybe a Silver Age Spotlight episode, which will, will maybe eventually come. There's no reason to think these... Uh, Jack Kirby stories aren't classic comics. Um, we've kind of been up and down, back and forth with all this stuff. Uh, uh, I don't know what else I can say about the Green Arrow stories themselves. Uh, there are a lot of stories with uh, uh, arrow, 
arrow themes, uh, archery themes, uh, a few in which he goes into the past and uh, he meets Robin Hood, he meets, uh, I think he meets King Arthur at one point, if I remember correctly. Um, he, uh, there, there are always a lot of different, you know, bow and arrow theme type stories with, uh, uh, as well, you know, there's one where there's a guy's comparing, uh, guns to arrows and which is, uh, more effective and they end up uh, having to switch weapons and they, then they have the, uh, they take the opposite side and, but it all revolves around, you know, Green Arrow's skill with, uh, with the bow and arrow. Uh, I I really enjoy reading this uh, this omnibus. It's uh, it's quaint. The stories are quaint. They're cute. Some are are better than others. Some have maybe a little more depth. But it's really interesting just to to see what it's uh it's like. I mean, it's no secret I have a real affinity for the Golden Age. But to have all these stories collected here is, is just amazing. Uh, while they might compare to the complexity of modern comics as a charm and intrinsic value for their place in the history of comics, there may be things you have to overlook with uh, the way certain people are portrayed, uh, the more simplistic aspect of it. There's not a lot of character development uh, with these guys. They're just good guys trying to stop criminals. There's lots of thugs and gangsters and those kinds of criminals as well. There's not uh, a ton of uh, costume criminals. I think the only two are the Bullseye and the Skylark that we already mentioned. Um, you know, very few of these Golden Age stories have ever been reprinted. Uh, it's like your own little mini, mini museum. Uh, at one point, DC had solicited a similar Aquaman volume and uh, there have been even fewer Golden Age Aquaman stories reprinted, so that would be a really exciting book to see print. Um, and I, I, I've always liked Aquaman for whatever reason, and uh, I would just absolutely love to have a Golden Age Aquaman omnibus like that. And I bet you could probably fit all of his stories into into one book. He uh, he was a more fun comic. Well, no, you couldn't, because he switches over to Adventure too. That's right, so you really couldn't. But it'd be close, because he didn't have... Uh, as many appearances in uh, World's Finest, I don't think. He had some. I don't think he had quite as many. But that's a different episode. Let me, let me hold up on that. Uh, but, you know, there are a number of other second and third tier Golden Age DC characters that benefit from a volume like this. Johnny Quick, uh, Manhunter, especially since it's by Simon and Kirby. They did the other Simon and Kirby stuff, the Simon and Kirby Sandman book, Newsboy Legion, those kind of things. They, they really need a Manhunter book. Uh, Vigilante, we've talked about him before. Uh, Liberty Bell. Um, I don't even know if any of Liberty Bell's Golden Age stories have ever been reprinted. I'm trying to think if I've ever seen one, and I don't think I've ever read one anywhere. Um, that would be interesting. And, of course, that's the the historian, the archivist in me that would want to see that. She has such a low profile in today's comics that there had to be some sort of real uh, uh, real revival of her and uh, giving her some more importance to probably get something like that. Uh, it's interesting when you think about it in hindsight. Uh, Green Arrow was clearly more popular than Aquaman, but Flash and Green Lantern were more popular than either of them. Yet, Green Arrow and Aquaman continued to be published through the 50s and into the Silver Age. I've mentioned before why that probably happened. Weisinger had a love for those characters because he had created them, and he kept them around because they were his. If he had created... 
Say Our Man and Dr. Midnight instead, Aquaman and Green Arrow wouldn't have had the standing they have today. Imagine the Justice League uh, first appearing in in the late 50s with Our Man in Aquaman's place and maybe Dr. Midnight as a social activist hero. It's a thought. in case you're wondering, uh, DC also has Golden Age Omnis volumes of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Uh, Wonder Woman is up next on my Golden Age reading list, so don't be surprised if there's an episode that features the amazing Amazon again. We did do uh, Sensation Comics a few months ago. Um, and yeah, I'm almost done with that book, and that's been a uh, revelation in a lot of ways. We're going to definitely have to do the do an episode about that, even if you think you know everything about Wonder Woman from uh, uh, Superheroes for Dummies. They have a great episode on that, or if you thought you got enough in Sensation Comics, uh, number one, when we did that episode and did her origin from All-Star number eight, there's so much stuff in those Golden Age Wonder Woman stories that's subversive and just wildly different. I, I, you got to imagine the editors had no idea what uh, Marston was really writing about. Um, well, Green Arrow, uh, gosh, it's been fun. I, I really enjoyed, uh, this omnibus. So good. I don't think I talked about what these characters look like. I, I guess I assume everybody knows what Green Arrow looks like, but you're probably not thinking of the, uh, the clean-shaven version from, uh, from the Golden Age, and he was that way all the way up into, uh, the late 60s in his, uh, green tunic and green pants with swashbuckling red boots and, and red gloves. Uh, and of course, Speedy had the same costume for even the orange boots and orange gloves, sometimes yellow, sometimes orange. Uh, such fun stuff, such fun stuff. So I, uh, I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Um, I hope you'll, uh, you'll check out the next episode. Uh, like I said last time, I just, then how often I'm going to get an episode out. So uh, I will do my best, uh, but I'll make sure to tease the topic on Twitter uh, like I did with this one so you can uh, you can be ready for it. So thanks again for listening, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Uh-huh.